it's the first ever Caustic Soda fundraiser. Caustic Soda has been provided free for four years and we wish to continue doing so. With this fundraising campaign, we hope to pay for web hosting, maintain and upgrade our recording and editing equipment, and produce promotional materials to help attract new high-caliber guests and hang on to our favorites from seasons past. We have always been a hobby podcast, a labor of love, but with a bit of extra scratch. We hope to provide our researchers, guestberts, and you, our listeners, with a few tokens of appreciation, such as a handcrafted caustic soda magnetic bottle cap, stickers, buttons, new season five t-shirt, knitted toques, personalized thank you messages placed in season five episodes, custom made audio skits from the hosts, an opportunity to be a guest on an episode, and much more. Head over to Indiegogo.com and search for Caustic Soda or visit CausticSodaPodcast.com for details. And if you've already donated, thank you. Turtle Guts Enema, taint as bad as you think. I'm Kevin Leeson. You call it seagull blood. I call it Poon's Tang. I'm Joe Fulgham. Got hypothermia? Hug it out! I'm Torin Atkinson, and this is Caustic Soda! <laughs> Bam! The word origin of adrift... Glub, glub, glub. ...comes from the 1620s, from A meaning on, and drift. The word drift originally comes from the pre-Indo-European root drabe, which means to drive or push. Drabe. So a drift means you are on something driving you. You're being pushed about. In this case, by the ocean. Yes. Mm. Phobias, thalassophobia is fear of the sea. Mm -hmm. Wait, so by this definition, is driftwood then having sex? Is that a euphemism? Driftwood is wood that is being pushed around Mm -hmm. by the ocean. Or your hips. Your hip bones. (laughs) Yes. Your hormones. <laughs> or, your, or your horn bones. <laughs> Autophobia is the fear of being alone. So I guess you could say autothalassophobia is the fear of being alone at sea. There you go. Ah, okay. All right. I can see it. Now, shipwrecks will be a future episode. We might even do it really soon and mm-hmm. turn this into a three-parter. Mm-hmm. We are also doing a marooned second part, which we're doing right after this one. Yeah. So this episode will only be about people on rafts Lost floating. Lost at sea. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. For the science, the big article I've got, most of this comes from HowStuffWorks.com. This is how long can you survive adrift in the ocean? Mm, One minute. Ten minutes. I'm going to go ten. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I think that would be me because Mm -hmm, I I will drown immediately. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think adrift implies you're on something. Okay. Sure. Uh, It really does depend on the conditions and what kind of vessel you're on, if any at all. Uh, The three things that are most likely to give you trouble are dehydration. Wait a minute. Hold on a second. Yeah. What does uh, a Middle Ages servant have to do with this? Baldric? No, because if you're surfing on a vassal, right? Oh. Like, I guess if your vassal is more buoyant than another one? Ooh, maybe he like sucks in, in air like... And then you can float on him then. I guess you could make a vessel out of vassals. Now we're talking. That would be a vassal vessel? Mm-hmm. That almost happened in Curse of the Black Freighter. He made that raft, but they weren't his vassals. Yeah, yeah anyway. Correct, Mundo. So the three things that are most likely to give you trouble are dehydration, because, of course, being on the ocean, it's salt water. You can't drink it. You should not drink it. Water, Mm -hmm. water everywhere, so let's all take a drink. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Hypothermia. It, uh, as long as the water is not quite warm, uh, below 26.7 degrees Celsius or 80 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 
there's very little water that's that warm, you are eventually going to get hypothermia just because it's colder than you are and okay. it's going to leach the okay. uh, temperature out of your body. So hypothermia can be a gradual thing. It can be like a, yeah. you know, just a total slow not burn. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, and the third is actually sharks. As much as sharks tend to not eat human beings, they could think that you're food and take a bite out of you. And when you're alone in the ocean, that's a bad idea. Yeah, you kind of have a... Uh a morsel. You kind of have that sort of, you know, a found food kind of quality about kind you. Kind of dangling your leg over the side of the raft there. Yeah. I can imagine sharks would get bored. It's like saying, bite me. Yeah. <laughs> eh, that doesn't look like the thing I normally eat, but I'm in the middle of the ocean. What am I going to do? <laughs> Chomp. So dehydration, I'm going to go through, I've got some details on all of these. You probably won't have much water with you in your lifeboat, and drinking seawater is never a good idea. Mm -hmm. Most doctors agree that humans can go four to eight weeks without food as long as they have water. Mm. In hot conditions with no water, dehydration can set in within an hour. The water needs to be replaced if your organs are going to continue to work properly. Okay. If you're in reasonable shape and adrift in ideal weather conditions, you may be able to survive for three to five days without any water at all. Ooh. How much of my own pee can I drink before it starts to go bad? I, d I would say it's bad instantly. No, uh, that's not true. <laughs> well, depends on what you mean by bad. Okay. I judge it as bad instantly. Oh, I see. I see. Oh. Uh, if you mean dangerous, uh, that scientifically I, uh, speaking, yeah. not, not taste wise. Mm -hmm. That I'm not it's so sure. delicious. I'm not worried about that. Because right. at some sure point in time, like you, because you take a little bit out of it every yeah. time you it becomes more and more concentrated every time yeah. you pee. Yeah, <laughs> like you don't so. you don't drink four liters of water and pee out four liters of urine. You drink four liters of water, pee out less than that. Yeah. And so you kind of like so yeah. you got to you catch know. your sweat and uh, tears as well. How <laughs> you get all of it? <laughs> Lots of tears. How many times can I go through the before it just comes out as a solid? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> just oozing out of like a yellow yeah. toothpaste out of the end of your yeah. wang. Oh, yeah, wait until it makes this noise. Clunk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I gotta take a pee. <laughs> Clang! There's, there's gotta be some water in there somewhere. <laughs> I've helped. Chewing it like a gobstopper. It's kind of chalky. <laughs> Uh, mm, most crystals. of the people who survived, or actually I would say all of the people who survived, survived by collecting rainwater as best they could. Mm -hmm. Hypothermia. When you first go into extremely cold water, there's a response called a cold shock response. Mm -hmm. uh, people start to hyperventilate immediately. Shrinkage. Of course, there's shrinkage. Also life-threatening. Yeah, that's right. Precisely. Probably uh, just embarrassing. Uh -huh. For one to three For minutes. The sharks, sharks shake their head. <laughs> uh, right. oh. I'm going to put that guy out of his misery. Yeah. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> For one to three minutes, you breathe very fast and deep, uncontrollably. If you go underwater, you could swallow water and die. So you get into cold water, and your body yeah. just makes you go. <laughs> and of course, if your mouth is underwater when you do that, that's a bad thing. Uh, yeah, that's going to have uh, negative outcomes. Right. Once that response, or, so less than ten minutes. Then negative incomes. Has anybody ever done uh, a polar bear swim? By the no. way, I have not a swim, but uh, I was at a polar bear dunk. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's. I, uh, I I I can. It was one of those times when uh, time freezes at an mm -hmm. instant. Uh, it was after a New Year's Eve party up at Cultus Lake, and uh, there was a polar bear swim in the morning that people had organized, and a bunch of us had come from the party thinking, let's go jump in the lake with the polar bear swim. That'll be fun. I was really hungover, and the polar bear swim didn't start for two hours. And we said, screw it. Let's jump in now. <laughs> so I jump in. We and won't I, be drunk enough in two hours. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I distinctly remember being in midair, 
and the tip of my toe caught the surface of this cold lake. Uh-huh. And I, I, my entire body went, oh, no, let's not do this. And, <laughs> and then you, the, you the, can't. The film went backwards. Yeah. <laughs> and then the, yeah, the record yeah. noise and then, and then it, sh- then it sh- shoots me walking away going, yeah, fuck that shit. <laughs> no, uh, of course, uh, point of no return was well before my toe touched the water. And I mm-hmm. hit it and just... <gasps> Uh, it was pretty brutal. I uh, mm-hmm. swam for a little bit. I did do the the breathing thing. Uh, my head was above water and then pulled myself out right away and went and stood by the bonfire that thankfully the polar bear swimmers had already started on the beach. Oh, there you go. Good so I was times. okay. Uh, I've been done that thing where you sit in a sauna for like an hour yeah. and then you run out and jump in a snowbank. Yeah. Oh, how was that? Uh, there was shrinkage. <laughs> One time I got hypnothermia. Hypnothermia. Just, just stared at the fire. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, I get that. <laughs> Hypothermia is when your body loses more heat than it produces and your core body temperature drops. Your body reacts by moving blood away from the extremities and toward the center or core of the body. So, of course, this is bad for your extremities. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to swim. Of course, what, the reason it's uh, your body does it is because you're just trying to survive. It says, look, if, if I lose my fingers, that's okay. I need to live. Right. Uh, getting wet, of course, will speed up the symptoms of hypothermia. So dry yourself as soon as possible if you can when you're stuck on an ocean. Right. Yeah. Okay. So like if you don't have a raft, right. how do you dry yourself? Well, I've got some... You can't. And I have some information that oh. I'll, that I'll uh, give you on how long you can survive uh, if you're stuck in the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, cover up with anything warm, blankets, sleeping bags, or pillows. Most heat is lost through your head, so cover it first. If you're, you're a sleeping bag in your head? Yeah. yeah. Like if, a hat. Or a plastic bag, oh, as so the case floppy. may be. Keep if, it out if of you the have water. A, if you only have a plastic bag, try that. Cinch around the neck so your yeah. whole head is That's warm. right. Yes. It, and your breath, your Put breath your will form. carbon dioxide, warm your, warm your head. <laughs> That's yeah. exactly. Your breath will be warmer and, <laughs> and heat up the inside of the bag. Don't do that. If you're with someone and you suspect hypothermia has set in, keep them horizontal and calm. Reassure them that they're going to be fine. Get into a sleeping bag together or simply hug to create warmth. Now is not the time to be uncomfortable about physical closeness. Uh You're talking about survival. Yeah. Hug each other. Societal cues. Throw them out the, uh, well, out a window if you had one. Right, right. Right. So I've got a a chart here. That's uh, This is not from HowStuffWorks.com. This is from elsewhere. Uh, I don't know where Torn found it. This is how long can a person survive in cold water? And I have both the uh, listed water temperature, expected time before exhaustion or unconsciousness, mm-hmm. and expected time of survival. Now, is this you're fully in the water? This is you are stuck in the water. And of course, uh, water is, is much better at uh, transferring heat. You know, if you're in hot water, instantly your body can feel that heat as, as opposed to higher. Right. That's why we say dry, dry heat, wet heat, that kind of thing. Yeah. Same thing with cold. I thought it was just because it was cool. It transfers heat much quicker one way or the other. It's like touching a physical object that's cold as opposed to just being in cold air. So being in cold water is very bad. At just above freezing, 32.5 Fahrenheit, 0.3 Celsius, how long do you think you would uh, be able to stay conscious and not exhausted? How long do you think it'll take you before you're unconscious? Uh, 15 minutes. You're absolutely right. Woo! It'll, it's actually less than 15 minutes is how long you're going to last in near freezing water. Okay, so uh, mm. next step up, up to four and a half, four 4.4 degrees Celsius or 40 degrees Fahrenheit. 16 minutes. Still cold? 
Uh, anywhere from 15 to 30 for exhaustion and consciousness. Your expected time of survival is only 30 to 90 minutes. Oh, to be alive. To be alive. Well, once, well, you, once you lose consciousness yeah, uh, yeah. in the ocean. I mean, actually, it would be pretty impressive if you lost consciousness at 30 and stayed alive until 90. I'm, we're, guessing, be... we're guessing you have a flotation device oh, so that, so that wow. you're, you're unconscious, but your head is kept above water. That's nah. the thing that always confused me in the movies is like people just kind of floating face down unconscious in the water. And then they're like, <gasps> they get up and do that. Well, not breathing that whole time. They- that actually is called a dead man's float. And a lot of people learn that very early on in swimming classes because it's a very efficient way to just stay in the water. Treading water, of course, takes energy. Right. Right. And, it, and if you're going to be stuck at, in the ocean for a long time, that could be bad. So a lot of people are taught what's called the dead man float. A large percentage of human beings, when their lungs are inflated, are naturally buoyant in mm-hmm. water. Mm-hmm. So they're taught to, you take a big, big deep breath in and then you just lie face down in the water until you needed to, to take another breath, and then you just push up a little bit so your head's out of the water, take another deep breath, and continue. And it's a super efficient, non-tiring way to just stay in the water. And you well, can do about, that while you're unconscious? No. <laughs> how about, how about uh, Torn's belly? It's obviously full of hot air, right? Yeah. Uh, I had a big bowl of hot air for breakfast, in fact. <laughs> okay, so up to 10 degrees Celsius or 50 degrees Fahrenheit. 31 minutes. You're actually good there. 30 to 60 minutes for unconsciousness and expected time of survival is still only one to three hours. The next step up to 15.6 Celsius, 60 degrees Fahrenheit is one to two hours before exhaustion, one to six hours survival. And then I'm just going to jump ahead to up to 80 degrees, which is quite warm water, yeah. which is uh, up to 26.7 degrees Celsius, which you would think of as still nice warm water. If yeah. I was in a 26 still degree water. Still colder than me. But that's the thing. It's colder than you are. So it's constantly leaching heat out of your body body. You're only going to stay uh, conscious in water like that for three to 12 hours. Huh? You're still going to get that body leached out or and that heat leached out of your body. How long does it take to dehydrate? Uh, dehydration, we, we talked about. It, you will can you die survive. of dehydration before you die of hypo? Yeah. Uh, no, you will die of hypothermia first. Okay. Uh, dehydration, as I stated, if you're in reasonable shape and adrift in ideal weather conditions, you may be able to survive for three to five days without water. So that's if you had drank a lot of water before you right. went overboard or whatever happened, okay. uh, and it's not too bad out there. Your expected time of survival is three hours to indefinite. So you may actually continue to survive if the water's that warm, but you're still going to be exhausted and possibly unconscious. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Just order to in your bathing suit, in, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In order to not have that heat leached out, the water has to be greater than 80 Fahrenheit or 26.7 Celsius. And at that point, then you can uh, stay conscious and survive indefinitely because of the, the, or at least not worry about the heat. Okay. So if you're in the water, no raft, flotation suit, so you don't drown. Yeah. You got, it's, you know, say around 80 degrees, you're not going to like die from uh, hypothermia Right. right away. So you know that dehydration is your greatest danger. And we all know that, you know, when you're going to pee, you got to, so how do you keep your pee from becoming, you know, in the, in the ocean? Positive theory. You have a fly okay. Okay. and you like, you know, line your back and you try and pee it into your mouth. Right. What? Right. Because you don't have any other like, oh, way to, to transfer. You're saying it. to get the water? Yeah. That'd be a hard swimming move with a, with a life vest on. Well, maybe not. We're going <laughs> to. Tests. Can, Tests will be made. Can we write this down as something to try if we ever do a TV show? <laughs> get get yeah. Kevin in a pool. And see if he can lie on his if back. If I can and actually make this happen. Lie on your back and pee in your own mouth? I would totally do this. 
<laughs> Give us a TV show, NBC. Man, if we make enough money on a fundraiser, that could be segment one. Uh-huh. Survival in uh, these waters depends to some extent on uh, people's individual differences. Some people do generate a little bit more heat. Uh, swimming ability, body size and build, cold tolerance, shivering response. Body fat does help. Uh, you are yeah! insulated. <laughs> Alcohol levels, oh. drink, as we discussed in our alcohol episode, alcohol makes it so that your body can shed heat quite a bit quicker, You right. will f- mm. but you won't feel it as much. Not good for me. Uh, behavioral I'm response. I'm half alcohol right now. Psychological makeup, will to live matters a lot. Some people just give up. Uh, activity, posture, mm. flotation aids. I'm uh, never going to make it. Does this mean you're, more, yourself. <laughs> you're more likely to live if you have Will Wheaton with you? Will Wheaton, yes. It's yeah. the, the will to the live. The will to uh, live, yeah. Uh-huh. The will Wheaton to live. So I've got some things that can help you survive in 50 Fahrenheit or 10 degrees Celsius water. This is without flotation devices, things like that. This is more of a list. I'll go through it fairly quickly. I'll uh, blow on your hands really hard. <sighs> mm. In cold water, they suggest that even though it's less efficient, you should tread water because treading water will actually cause you to heat your body up a little more. I okay. fight off hypothermia right, a little yeah. bit. The treading water, you can survive for about two hours uh, in in the 50 degree, 10 Celsius water. Swimming with a flotation device, also about two hours. It's about the same. Uh, If you hold still when you're on a personal flotation device, you only go up to about 2.7 hours. The help position, h.e.l.p, which stands for the heat escape lessening position. Okay. I do like acronyms. Yeah. Uh Uh, That's a way to position yourself to reduce heat loss in cold water. Uh, It's taught as part of the curriculum in Australia, North America, and Ireland for lifeguard and boating safety training. It involves essentially positioning one's knees together and hugging them close to the chest with one's arms. Oh, so you protect your core. You're you're curling into a ball and making it so you have less... uh, surface space that the water contacts yeah. keeping that that chest covered up with your legs and that really shuts it down that will actually increase your survival time to four hours in that water oh. and uh, like 30 percent or more it's a real shame torn can't get his knees to his chest and i <laughs> identical <laughs> an identical benefit to that help position is huddling with others so again uh. if you are stuck at sea that that is not the time to be shy can so, you huddle and help at the same time, it's like a it's like playing tri- playing Tetris with people. Uh, that would be yeah, playing Twister at sea, sort of. I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but here's the thing, Joe. Yeah. Here's the thing. If you uh, if you're out on a cruise, yeah, with a special lady friend that you would like to make even more special, yeah, but you're too shy to actually ask her out, just right. sink the ship, sink the ship, and mm. then she's got no choice. I yeah. don't think cold water is going to be doing you any favors. No, but you can huddle. I mean, you know, you don't go straight to the bump and uglies on the first date anyway. Huddling, you don't? Huddling and shrinkage at the same time? Not if you're a gentleman. A gentleman says yes if the lady asks. (laughs) I guess they don't ask. Uh, If you have hypothermia... That's that's kind of why you're sinking the ship. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, precisely. In the scenario that I've painted, I think all of this makes perfect sense. It's it's a form of sexual assault. I was thinking the ship didn't sink. You were just playing Twister on board and somebody said left hand blue ocean. And ah! ah! Yeah. If you have hypothermia prevention equipment, like an insulated flotation jacket, also called a float coat. Whoa, float coat. Uh, a float mm-hmm. coat. You can survive three to nine hours in those frigid waters. And a survival suit. Different than a float coat? Much bigger. Full body survival suit. It basically looks like a hazmat suit for being mm-hmm. in the ocean. Yeah. Or if you have a- That uh, will allow you to survive indefinitely in cold water. And a dune style still suit. Yeah. It's basically Even the- better, because yeah. you just drink your own pee all the time. There you go. <laughs> is there a chance that if you splashed around enough, you would attract a shark or a giant squid that then you could ride to safety? 
giant squid, yes. To the if, bottom of the if, sea. If by say, uh, do you mean the bottom of the ocean or a sperm whale's mouth? Attract, <laughs> yes, uh-huh. a shark. <laughs> that you could ride to safety? No. Oh. Uh, I've seen them do it at SeaWorld on the back of but killer whales. How mm-hmm. about killer whales? Killer whales are always friendly. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Dolphins are our worst enemy. Ah. Oh, really? Yeah, they're rapey. Yeah, they are. Uh, they are a little, mm-hmm. I understand that they are. Uh, swimming is not recommended unless there is little chance of being rescued and shore is less than a mile away. Putting on a personal flotation device after falling into cold water is almost impossible, so wear it. Oh. So if you think the boat might be going down, get your personal flotation device on. If you I like think to you throw it in the water and then dive into it. Uh, that's not going to work. That's what I like to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, symptoms of hypothermia resemble those of a drunken stupor, so it's going to be hard mm. f- to tell if Kevin's got it. Right. That is true. Uh, that is true. Sleepiness, it's going to be very hard to tell. Sleepiness, clumsiness, confusion, and even slurred speech. There you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> those are all the seven dwarves, aren't they? Sleepy, that's right. clumsy, and slurry. Uh-huh. And of course, the third is sharks. Uh, if you've made it through starvation, dehydration, and hypothermia, you'll still need to worry about sea creatures, especially if you're floating a life vest or wetsuit. Uh, sharks tend to not mean any harm, but if they're hungry, they may mistake you for dinner and take a bite. And mm-hmm. then you are dinner. Mm-hmm. You may be able to fend off a shark if you punch it in its nose area, gouge its eyes, or pull its gills, which we mentioned in our sharks episode, oh, the yeah. first episode ever. Uh, if you're in a life raft or a disabled boat, do your best to stay in it. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, that's uh, that falls squarely in the... Duh. Yeah. Category. What about if a friendly whale passes by? Mm. Uh, I would ask him to send a message in the same way that Gandalf talked to that butterfly or moth. Stick um, your message in the bottle and his blowhole. <laughs> Off he goes. Yeah. Gets to the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's nature's pneumatic cannon. Yep. Mm-hmm. Got some history of some uh, especially interesting people who have been lost at sea. I'm going to start with Maurice and Marilyn Bailey. Uh, the Baileys were a British couple who in 1973 survived for 117 days on a rubber raft in the Pacific Ocean before being rescued. The Baileys journey began when they left Southampton, England in their 31-foot, that's 9.4 meters uh, long yacht, the Orlin. For the- a three-hour cruise. <laughs> a three-hour cruise. Well, their <laughs> their <laughs> intended destination was New Zealand, so oh. a little longer than that. <laughs> you said uh, oral. <laughs> yes, the Orlin. <laughs> Oral in Oral Lynn. <laughs> so wait a sec. They had a 31-foot boat that they were going to sail from England, England to New Zealand? Correct. That seems stupid. I, I don't know. People do it, I guess. 31-foot boat is not a big boat. Right, right. To sail like around the Cape of Africa or whatever. This was the boat they decided to live on, too. Uh, this was not just a pleasure cruise. They decided that they were going to leave behind their life and just live on a boat. Mm. Yeah. This sounds like the kind of plan you'd hatch while drinking that tasty liqueur Bailey's. I, I would agree with that. Uh-huh. Uh, they passed safely through the Panama Canal in February and were on their way to the Galapagos Islands. At the crack of dawn on March 4th, 1973, their yacht was struck by a whale and severely damaged. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The whales. Did it, did, do you think the whale did it on purpose or by accident? No, I, I think definitely by accident. I think well, whale- the ocean is pretty big. It'd and be there's some jerk-ass whales out there. Yeah, Whales have different personalities. Come on. They're nice ones and crappy ones. After transferring some supplies to an inflated raft and dinghy and salvaging some food, a compass, and other supplies, the Baileys watched as the Orlin disappeared beneath the waves. And the whales were laughing in the distance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what does the whale laugh sound like? Whoa. <laughs> 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 Lol. That's what he said. 
<laughs> to survive, they collected rainwater, and when their meager food supplies ran out, they began eating sea creatures such as turtles, seabirds, and fish caught by hand or with safety pins fashioned into hooks. And they're oh, floating oh. in a raft? Yeah. As they drifted in the open Pacific, the couple saw seven different ships. So wait, they ate turtles and what else? Turtles, seabirds, and fish caught by hand sea or with birds. safety pins. Yeah. Is it, mm. is, it, is it good to eat a seabird that isn't cooked? Uh, well, I think it's better than not eating anything. All right. Plus, you can make seabird ceviche. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah, just leave it to cook out in the sun. Albatross. Albatross! Those are good luck to kill, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. As they drifted in the open ocean, the couple saw seven different ships, not one stopping to their aid. <laughs> their life raft began to disintegrate and required frequent oh. reinflation. Wait, so seven ships just sailed by. Now, yeah. I mean, I am going to go out on a limb and say that nine, none of those ships saw them. Well, it would be kind of a dick move. You don't know that. So do you think it's possible that somebody would see a life raft out in the middle of the ocean and go, fuck that? I yeah. Would. Yeah. What? Wh- wh- why? You would not. I've only got uh, storms coming. I've only got enough fuel to get me and my valuable crew to land. Can't go out over there. Yep. Against the wind. It, within eye, within eyesight. Not terribly. I'll come back for them later. They'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, that's what I don't understand. Like, I can I can kind of understand, like, oh, man, my bo- if I stop, my boss is going to kill me for not getting there on time, and we're going to have to feed these guys, but I'm going to make a note of where we are and radio the Coast Guard or something to come get them. Like, okay. why would they not at least do that? But I don't know. Yeah. The life raft began to disintegrate and required frequent reinflation. They read and played card games early in their ordeal, but later the Bailey suffered terribly from malnutrition and friction-induced sores. Did yeah. they make the cards out of, like, seabird wings or something like oh, that? Oh, maybe. Or tur- <laughs> the turtle, the, you know how the turtle box has those different kind of hexagonal uh-huh. things? They made, like, what's a hexagonal card game? It's really nerdy. There uh, must be one. Oh, like on Battlestar Galactica. The Battlestar Galactica cars. <laughs> no, they use the tortoise shells for bongo drums to entertain themselves with right. the music. There you go. Yeah. They, they turned their raft into a whole Gilligan's Island bullshit machine. Yeah. Where they just had all sorts of technology made out of things they found in the ocean. Precisely. Right. They encountered sharks and dolphins and endured several severe storms. Ooh, you use the tortoise shell as like a shield and go hand to hand with a shark. After traveling some 1,500 miles, that's 2,400 kilometers. They finally made it to New Zealand. The Baileys were rescued by the crew of a Korean fishing boat, the Weolmi 306, on June 30th, 1973. Sailors on the ship spotted the raft after initially passing it by. The couple was brought on board in an emaciated state, having lost some 40 pounds apiece and with their legs barely able to support their weight. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's hard to to stand up in a disintegrating raft. Yeah. I mean, 117 days in a raft. That is. I couldn't go a week without internet. Yeah. Well, 1973. That's when you lose your will to live. Yeah. Just gun in the mouth. Flare gun in the mouth. Flare gun in the mouth. That's all I got. Ooh, fireworks. Bloody gross fireworks. No, you mean if you if you waited till you were in your like really emaciated state, maybe the flare gun would blow your head right off into the air and, and you'd then, have a Joe flare. Yeah, right? I like it. You'd glow at your eyes and your mouth with, and stuff like with, that. With my head screaming all the way up. Ah! <laughs> I like the sounds of this. That's what we do in episode two of the TV show. <laughs> While researching this, I actually found a web page that had an entire scan of a 13-part account by Captain Sue of the ship that rescued them that was printed in a Korean newspaper. What do you mean? Oh. 
Oh, I see. So the, the captain of the boat that rescued them wrote a 13-part article that appeared in a Korean newspaper. Oh, about rescuing them about, or about, about their ordeal? About rescuing them. Okay. It's awesome. I'm going to put a link up to it in caustic-sort-of-podcast.com. Uh, it talks about him rescuing them, not being exactly sure what to do, about asking the crew if they would feel good about giving them their, some of their rations of food uh, and things see? like that, and, and how great the crew was. But that's not caustic. So uh-huh. go read how awesome that crew was. And it, it's a fantastic story. But this part I love. This is from the captain. Uh, oh, Korean accent? No. Hmm. Pai Sok Dong? No? <laughs> My chief engineer immediately began his first medical treatment of them. Mr. Bailey's bare buttocks were a terrible sight. We turned away our faces. Oh, yeah. Skin Ooh. inflammation was all over his buttocks, which were only a handful of skin and bones. Uh. The first thing for Pi to do for the treatment was to tear away an adhesive tape on a large eruption on his buttocks. <gasps> Every time Pi's fingers touched the spot, Mr. Bailey made a pained expression on his face, <laughs> rolling his sure. blue eyes. Yes. Every pull of tape seemed to pull off the whole skin. Oh, oh yeah. So wait, so hold on a second. So Bailey had covered his own butt with adhesive tape he, he, to prevent it from like getting any more. He had worse? a horrible infection, like a hole in an infection in his in his butt. Yeah, he writhed he in got, desperate we call agony. Sea butt. <laughs> Is that what we call it? Got a bad case of the sea butt. And the captain notes that uh, he learned from the uh, engineer that this tape is supposed to come off from fat and springy skin just super easily. But but this disease skin, it just got stuck to it. Wow. Uh, Wow. Pay pay pondered for a while, bewildered. With his left palm, he hit a healthy part of his buttocks and at the same time pulled off the tape with his right fingers. He imitated a doctor giving an injection. Mr. Bailey groaned. It took about 20 minutes to get rid of the monstrous adhesive. Oof. Pus formed deep in the blotch. When it was pressed out, a bone was seen through the opened <laughs> hole. Oh, snap. Yeah. Turns out it was a fish bone. <laughs> wow. Like it was his tailbone? His hip bone? I, I, I'm not a doctor. Pelvic bone? Some bone, bone in his ass. Butt yeah. bone. Pie. Oh, the bone that you're not supposed to be able to see. <laughs> Pie applied oxyfol and teramycin ointment to the affected part. His patient trembled with intolerable pain. Uh, I want to point out, I prefer my bones to stay inside my body. Yeah, I agree. That's where they should stay. No. This 13-part article, I read the whole thing. It's fascinating. Again, link's going to be up on caustic-sort-of-podcast.com. It's in English because it was printed in two newspapers, one in Korean and one, one in, in English. English. So translated. Uh, so this is, these are exact scans of it. There's horrible stories about them not being able to basically stand. So they had to put... They put them up in a cabin that they had to put on the main floor. They had to put the mattresses on the floor and they were crawling around. It's a fascinating story of these people recovering from this terrible, terrible ordeal. Let me just give them those suits we saw on um, Elysium. Yeah. Yeah, those uh, those exoskeletons. Yeah. Why didn't they just give them exoskeletons, Joe? Oh, damn. Because it was 1973, I think. Uh-huh. Oh. No, you give them an exoskeleton made out of a Korean guy. You'd actually just like stick them with the <laughs> adhesive to a Korean guy and then just like, you know, basically if you do a walking assist action. And then you can do that thing where you're just standing behind him and you and you're he's talking and you're doing the thing with your arms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you totally. go. Totally. That's right. Oh, I've been out at sea for so long. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you hitting yourself? Why are you hitting yourself? And he just stands on your feet and you walk him around. Yeah, exactly. Go. Totally. Good times. They totally. should have done that. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing that's uh, that I found very interesting was uh, uh, the Baileys were, the heat was oppressive for them because mm-hmm. they're, you know, the, right at the equator pretty much. And 
they asked for a fan to be put in their room, but being Korean, the captain was afraid that if they kept it on while they slept, they could die. Oh, that's right, because some weird... I have heard about this. Uh, some cultures they, think they that... They think it, mechanically created wind is fatal when you're sleeping, yeah, or can okay. be fatal when you're sleeping. All right. Uh, if we have any Demonstrably cr- untrue. <laughs> yeah. Easily <laughs> testable by looking at North America. <laughs> like, I sleep with a fan on all the time. There are no fan deaths uh-huh. in North America. Unless you take it and, like, hit somebody with it. Yes. Mm. Oh, I'm not saying you can't. <laughs> One time I stuck my tongue in a fan and it hurt. Oh, okay. Did didn't, you? Didn't die, though. <laughs> didn't die. Didn't die. Oh. Yeah, because you weren't asleep. Oh, yeah, Why would right. you do that? It was just the next logical step before going right up to the fan the with pe- your voice going, uh, and then oh. hear it chop. Uh-huh, I was thinking yeah. you were going to say the next logical step was your penis and in the fan. And you're there already. It feels bad, but kind of good. I think that says more about you than Torn. I'm not saying I've done it. I'm not saying I haven't done it. Now, shouldn't rob a bank without a plan. Shouldn't use your tongue to stop a fan. <laughs> <laughs> Old kids in the hole oh, reference. Nice. Uh-huh. Now, 117 days uh, on a raft is not the record. That record goes to Chinese sailor Poon Lim, okay, who survived 133 days alone in the South Atlantic. In a raft. On a raft. In 1942, during World War II, he was working as a second steward on a British merchant ship, which was on its way from Cape Town to Suriname. The ship was armed, but slow moving and was sailing alone instead of being in a convoy. Mm-hmm. On November 23rd, the, a German U-boat intercepted and struck the ship with two torpedoes about 750 miles east of the Amazon River. Okay. As the ship was sinking, Poon Lim took a life jacket and jumped overboard before the ship's boilers exploded. Oh, yeah. Oh. The ship sank in two minutes. The- so I totally have like that, uh, you know, that Van Damme shot when he's out running that mm-hmm. fireball. Yeah. And, he uh, jumps off he the, jumps off the, the edge and, and up. explodes right behind him in diehard fashion. Yeah, I yeah. totally. Uh, now, I have, I have two reports. One says that the master, all 44 sailors and eight gunners died, making him the sole survivor. Uh, there's another one that suggested 11 other sailors may have been rescued. And I saw a note that the apparently the U-boat uh, interrogated some of the survivors and then left them. Oh. So I don't know if the story is that they interrogated them, they were survivors, but then they died because they uh-huh. left them, or if we're just not getting the whole story. So I don't know. Or if there were 11 went into the water and only one fat one came out. <laughs> yeah, could be that. Mm-hmm. After approximately two hours in the water, Poon found an eight-foot square wooden raft and climbed onto it. Mm -hmm. Uh, The raft had several tins of biscuits, a 40-liter jug of water, some chocolate, a bag of sugar lumps, some flares, two smoke pots, and an electric torch. Okay. Sounds like a good time. So he's got got supplies. Right. Got Uh, chocolate. I'm in. Poon Lim initially kept himself alive by drinking the water and eating the food in the raft, but later resorted to fishing and catching rainwater in a canvas life jacket covering. Okay. He could not swim very well and often tied a rope from the boat to his wrist in case he fell into the ocean. That's like tying your string around your finger. Remember, you're stranded at sea. That's right. I I mean, here's the thing. It's probably, if you're a merchant marine, you might want to know how to swim. Yeah. Just as a general rule. But the fact that he didn't is kind of smart. I I agree. I think it's a very Uh clever idea. He took a wire from the electric torch and made it into, into a fish hook. And used a hemp rope as a fishing line. He figured he needed a fish hook more than he needed a, a lantern. I, yeah, well, maybe the battery so. burned out or it was that broken. Could mm-hmm. be. He also dug a nail out of the boards of the wooden raft and bent it into a hook for larger fish. Oh, yeah. Oh, this guy's really inventive. Yeah. When he captured a fish, he would cut it open with a knife he fashioned out of a biscuit tin hmm. and dry it on a hemp line over the raft. This guy is more he inventive than you, me, and Torn put together. Doesn't yep. need to swim. Yeah, no <laughs> kidding. Exactly. You know what? 
I feel like if he did go in the water, he'd have fashioned like a motorboat somehow, you know, out of uh, tins. <laughs> and uh, Come on, know, professor. Yeah, it catches a, uh, a seabird and makes it like run on a treadmill or something. That's right. Use that to power the radio he created Yeah, out of coconut shells and turtle tendons. Mm-hmm. Once a large storm hit and spoiled his fish and fouled his water. Oh. Poon, barely alive, caught a bird and drank its blood to survive. This guy's a badass. This guy is awesome. Yeah. You want to hear badass? When he saw sharks, he did not swim. Instead, he set out to catch one. Yeah. Yeah. He used the remnants of the next bird he caught as bait. The fish, the first shark to pick up the taste was only a few feet long. He gulped the bait and hit the line with full force, but in preparation, Poon Lim had braided the line so it would have double thickness. Ah. The, the, I, the, this guy's, Poon Lim obviously translates into MacGyver. Yeah, I agree. Right. He had also wrapped his hands in canvas to enable him to make the catch. Sure. Okay. So it wasn't like pulling on his hands and just yeah, burning yeah. it and letting well, it go. Yeah, shark skin is very rough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. But the shark attacked him after he brought it aboard the raft. He sure. used the water jug half filled with seawater as a weapon. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Like after his victory, Poon Lim cut open the shark and sucked its blood from its liver. Yum. Nice. Shark since liver ha- blood. Since it hadn't rained, he was out of water and this quenched his thirst. So now what he's going to do is he's going to, out of that shark leather skin, create like some sort of armor. I yeah. totally. Right? Yeah. So he can like fight his uh, way to fight against Mother Nature. A shark head helmet. That yeah. would be awesome. <laughs> oh, he uses that sh- the remains of that shark to catch a bigger shark. shark and eventually he catches a blue whale. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> then straps himself to the back That's of right. it. And he builds a house inside it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Smoke Fuck coming gonna... out of the chimney, the blowhole. I don't need to go back. I'm doing fine here. <laughs> it, it does seem like he's going up the like property uh, uh, ladder, so yeah. to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The food chain. He's crawling up the food chain. Exactly. One, one giant animal at a time. Human beings, man. That brain is useful. <laughs> Try and get a monkey to do this. It would uh-huh. not happen. Yeah. Uh, he sliced the fins and let them dry in the sun, a Hainan delicacy. I think we're going to let this shark fin soup go. This one, know. this one's okay. <laughs> torn, <laughs> torn philosophically, it's how do delicacy. you stand on this? It is as, long as, he, as long as he eats the rest of it and he needed it, I'm okay. If it comes down to human or shark, I'm picking human. Well, and back in 1943, sharks weren't nearly as endangered as they are now. Yeah, there you go. Maybe that is a... Maybe he know. started the trend. Oh, oh that asshole. Oh. Damn him. He went back and went, oh, that I had shark fin soup, which I totally think thought was going to be ass, but it was great. <laughs> and everybody just wanted it ever since. Because they're like, maybe we eat shark fin soup, we'll become like this guy, who is awesome. He is. Wow. Yeah, maybe Poodlin translates just to aw.some. Scientific fact, shark fins don't taste like anything, and they add flavor to the soup to make it palatable. <laughs> Though they add other flavor, you mean? Yeah. Uh-huh. Maybe made shark fin cookies. Soda jerks, soda jerks don't. <laughs> d- please boycott shark fin soup restaurants, right? We're saying That's that? That's what I say. Unless mm. you're dying on the ocean and you need to eat, then eat, eat the shark. And, and the you shark. have to club it to death with a jug full of seawater. <laughs> yeah. Pass. Then, then you've earned you it. Get a then you get Yeah, you've earned it. Uh-huh. No, you have to throw those fins back in the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> Something called integrity, Torin. <laughs> On two occasions, other vessels passed by, first a freighter, then a squad of U.S. Navy patrol planes. Oh. Uh-huh. Poon contended that the freighter saw him but did not pick him up because he was Chinese. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Possible. Yeah. I can see it. The Navy planes did see him, and one dropped a marker boy in the water. Unfortunately for Poon, a large storm hit the area at the same time, and he was lost again. Dow. Oh. Yeah. Uh, he was also once spotted by a German U-boat, which had been doing gunnery drills by targeting seagulls. 
Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So I guess they were up on top and guys shooting, I guess, with their rifles and or, or their no, mounted they, gun. Um, U-boats had the like 50 cal on the top right. of it. So, so I guess they were just shooting seagulls with their 50 cal. Yeah. That part of being in a U-boat would probably be kind of fun. Sometimes yeah. when I get woken up by seagulls in the morning in Chinatown, Vancouver, British Columbia, yeah. I can relate to that. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I wish I had a 50 cal gun at the top of the apartment building. <laughs> At first, he counted the days by tying knots in a rope, but later switched to counting full moons. Okay, because oh, yeah, he ran out of he yeah. ran out of space to tie knots. <laughs> right. On April fifth, nineteen forty-three, after a hundred and thirty-three days in the life raft, Poon Lim neared land in a river inlet. Three Brazilian fishermen rescued him and took him to Belém three days later. I'll tell you, if you're gonna like uh, landfall somewhere, you know Brazil. Especially if it was right near Carnival, would be oh, a heck of a good time. That's right. During his ordeal, Poon Lim had lost nine kilograms, but was able to walk unaided upon being rescued. He spent four weeks in a Brazilian hospital, and the British consul arranged for him to return to Britain via Miami and New York. Well, that's because this guy was getting lots of exercise, smashing sharks and like you yeah. know doing battle with sea creatures and fashioning hooks out of other things and creating saw blades out of yeah. tin tops and... Yeah, yeah. So this guy kept busy. Yeah. No, no sitting on his butt and getting having your bone poked through. Yeah, it's it feels like he just kind of went, well, got to deal with this, and then did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when told no one had ever survived longer on a raft at sea, Poon Lim replied, I hope no one ever will have to break that record. <laughs> yeah. 133 days by yourself? I know. Oh, my God. The staying alive part would be the only thing keeping you alive. I will note that when the Baileys were found, the uh, captain of the boat did note that he found birth control pills on their raft. So they knew what they were doing. So maybe their legs were getting a lot of exercise, yeah. but other birds in the world, you know what I mean, guys? Right, right, guys, right, guys? Penis, As vagina. Of <laughs> As of 2013, no one has broken Poon Lim's record on a life raft. The record holder for being stuck at sea, however, Jesus Vidanya. That means goodbye in Russian. Just before sunrise on October 28, 2005, Lucio Rendon, Salvador Odonez, and Jesus Eduardo Vedania, along with two other companions, set forth from the Mexican port of San Blas Nariet to catch sharks oh. in a 20-foot-long fiberglass boat. What year was this again? 2005. Okay. So, so this was, uh, eight years ago. Catching sharks. So uh, Torrens already like, sink them. I don't yep. care. Yep. Do it. They exhausted their fuel and strong easterly winds cast them adrift in the northern equatorial current, which crosses the Pacific Ocean from Mexico to the Philippine Islands. Wow. Lucio Rendon's family searched for some weeks, but the castaways were blown out into the high seas too fast and could not be found. Too poor to afford a radio, the fishermen had no way to contact help. They survived for nine months on raw fish, seagulls, and sea turtles, and by collecting rainwater in an empty gasoline container. But they were like, they weren't on a raft, they were in a full boat. They were in a 28-foot-long fiberglass boat. So Poon Lim still has the raft record. Yeah. These are the stuck-at-sea record. Water was scarce during the first month as it did not rain, but when water came, cold front after cold front brought clouds and rain, which may have saved lives. Well, for nine months, I would say so. Hope returned to the stranded fishermen when they saw planes flying from the west. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, when they're like, oh, we're reaching the other side yeah. of the ocean now. Oh, the other side <laughs> of the biggest ocean on the planet. Uh-huh. They realized that it would be easier to cross the ocean to the west rather than attempting to turn into uh-huh. the wind to return to Mexico. <laughs> they fashioned a sail with the blankets they carried on board and chose to sail westward following the wind and the currents. This uh, is the only time they thought of making a sail? 
guessing the story might not have said they might have had a sail and tried to go against the wind but maybe didn't know how they sailed for more than 270 days at an average of four kilometers per hour all right that's faster than you can walk not a great sail right so basically they walked across the pacific ocean yeah at a walking speed they yeah they made fishing hooks with strings and wires from the engine and caught sea turtles by diving into the ocean with a rope tied to their waists this is why we have to protect the sea turtles because we need them for because when we get stuck. we need them for when you get stuck out in the ocean. <laughs> yeah, there you go. This is, yeah, every, almost every single thing I read about people who survive ate turtles. I've never even seen a turtle in the ocean, but well, maybe that's just... Well, such, they're such tasty morsels, it's surprised that they only come out near Christmas. <laughs> Ooh, mm-hmm. I love turtles. That's where, that's where they get those turtles chocolates from... Uh, from the the sea, they they go gill netting for them, right? That's uh-huh. right. Uh-huh. Uh, the mighty chocolate turtle of Western Australia. <laughs> Little tiny ones are the best. Uh-huh. Their almond bones the just babies. crunch beneath my teeth. Yeah. So tasty. They just barely develop. They're so soft. Yeah, caramel in, innards. That's that caramel blood. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to be able to eat those candies anymore. They're going to be thinking of bones and blood. Are you kidding me? I'm going to go and get some <laughs> yeah. right now. No, you're totally right. One second after we finish recording this, I'm going to have one in my mouth. <laughs> They ate everything, meat, blood, bones, eggs, and so survived nine months crossing two-thirds of the Pacific Ocean, more than 8,800 kilometers or 5,500 miles westward. On August 9th, 2006, their boat was spotted on the radar by a Taiwanese tuna fishing vessel. The captain ordered the crew to sail towards the signal to investigate, thinking the radar signal was too strong to be a group of seagulls. The survivors were reported to be very thin and hungry, but otherwise healthy. The sailors of the Taiwanese boat took them aboard and gave them food, medical clothes, and had them rest for 13 days until they disembarked in Majuro, Marshall Islands, where an officer from the Mexican embassy in New Zealand arranged to have them flown back to Mexico. Hmm. Torn won't like this. After arriving back in Mexico and visiting their families, they went back to San Blas to continue with shark fishing. Some people never learn. Uh-huh. Some questions have arisen since the media began investigating this story, however. Oh? Now, I'm not going to point fingers. Mm-hmm. It's curious. Uh, I'm going to point. point your toes? I'm going to point question marks. Uh-huh. The three men hadn't mentioned anything about the other crew members in their first interviews with the press. Then they revealed that two men, the boat's owner, identified only as Senior Juan, and another man had died during their odyssey. They said the men had starved to death. One of them uh-huh. cried and refused to eat, Vidanya told a Mexican television station. Uh-huh. For Senior Juan, we said seven Our Fathers and seven Hail Marys, then threw him into the ocean. Some people are saying these guys weren't shark fishing, but uh, drug smuggling, and uh-huh. that they mutinied and killed their captain, and that's what led this to happen. Uh-huh. Thing is, their story could also be completely true. Right. So I don't know. Gotcha. But they did run out of fuel. Yes. You would uh-huh. think that you, before you go out on a journey, you would know that you would have enough fuel to go to a certain distance and come back. Well, yeah. yes, but there are currents and winds and tides, and maybe oh, somebody skipped well, on the fuel. They also weren't thinking terribly a lot about consequences because yeah. they didn't have a radio. That's true. Right. Right? So we don't know. We don't know. But they do have the record for being lost at sea nine months. I've also got the story of the Robertson family. Swiss family Robertson? Oh, that's, so, that's not right. <laughs> Robertson Crusoe. <laughs> the Robertson family left port in January 1971 on a 43-foot schooner called Lucette on what was little more than a whim after one of their twin sons, Neil, asked, why can't we sail around the world? Oh, yeah. That's all it took? Yeah. <laughs> Good gravy. I should have just gone to my parents like, why don't we have a Corvette? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Right? That kid was a little spoiled. Yeah, who, yeah. who knew that that would work? 
Their adventurous father, Dougal, a former mariner, promptly agreed and sold the family's impoverished Staffordshire farm to fund the escape. Nice. They set sail without so See, much... they bought the farm because the kid asked, why can't we have a farm? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're right, son. <laughs> Started out with, why can't we have a dog? And then, why can't we have a white rhino? Yeah. And... They set sail without so much as a test run, heading straight into a fierce Atlantic storm. But that skirmish was minor compared to the ravages they would face. 17 months into their voyage, having successfully crossed the Atlantic, they were struck by a pod of killer whales off the Central American coast. The freak encounter cracked the Lucette's timber hull, sinking the boat in minutes. Nice. Uh, The son, Douglas Robertson, then 18, uh, and at the time reporting this, 55, recalled, There was a huge splashing noise behind me, and I turned around and saw three whales. I thought, this is how I'm going to die. I'm going to be eaten alive. The family, plus a student hitchhiker called Robin Williams. Good Lord. Yeah. He'd be fun to have on a... Yeah, how would he react to a pot of killer whales? You would get so... You would get so tired of being on a boat with Robin Williams. Who? What's this? Why do they call it killer whales? (laughs) Yes, that's Robin Williams. They're not whales, nor are they killers. (laughs) Even your comedian accents are wrong. But, it, but he didn't die. He wasn't eaten. No. The family, plus a student hitchhiker called Rob Williams, managed to climb aboard the boat's rubber dinghy. With enough water for 10 days, a bag of onions, a few oranges and lemons, and some sweets, the six's chances of survival were minimal. So the killer whales were like, we're just going to fuck with these guys. Yeah. We're going to yeah. capsize their boat. More asshole whales. Yeah. We're not even that hungry. <laughs> 17 days later, the inflatable gave out, leaving only the nine-foot-long fiberglass boat Edna Mare between them and the deep blue sea. So I'm guessing they had the inflatable boat, which was bigger, and they were in it, and they probably had this long fiberglass boat with the stuff okay. beside them, uh-huh. but the inflatable boat Sank. deflated. Yeah. And so they all got into this much, much smaller fiberglass boat. Their tiny vessel was so overladen that they had to take turns to sit on the only dry seat. The others submerged to their waists. Ooh. Oh. So, uh, yeah, I'm guessing that constant bailing of a Of, of a some vessel, kind yeah. of variety was necessary. That would be stressful. Yeah, that would be stressful. <laughs> Don't rock the boat, Kevin. <laughs> uh, I, my, but I might, to pass the time, sing Don't Rock the Boat. To rock the boat, baby. Mm-mm. Tip the boat over. Mm-mm. To rock the boat, baby. While adrift, they killed 13 turtles using a spear fashioned from a paddle. Oh. And even a five-foot shark. Oh. Oh, there you go. Good times. The mother, Lynn Robertson, who had been a nurse, devised a gruesome technique to keep them hydrated with rainwater collected in the boat. She knew the water, which was contaminated by turtle blood and offal, would be poisonous if taken orally. Because oh. the only way they collect it was in the bottom of this boat that's just full of water and yeah. garbage and junk. Yeah, yeah. And insisted her family take enemas using tubes from the rung of a ladder. What? Water enemas. If taken rectally. Tubes the- from the rung of a ladder. I, sure. So, okay. I guess they were hollow tubes in the Right. Thing, so yeah. It's not yeah. a wooden ladder. No. It's like a PVC a, pipe uh, ladder. One of those or PVC something. ladders. Oh, or aluminum. <laughs> Oh, oh, it's too cold. (laughs) (laughs) If taken rectally, the poison doesn't go through the digestive system, she explained. Oh, so you upturn, you you stick in the funnel, (laughs) yes, and then you pour in all this tainted water. Pouring tainted water. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Which suppose, according to her- So your mucous membrane can absorb it, but it doesn't poison you. Well, I asked Dr. Rob about this. Uh Uh-huh. Oh. I said, that's probably not really 100% true, is it? It was just a gag. She was going to (laughs) amuse herself. She was just an ass freak. I feel like I have no will to live. Oh, I know. (laughs) Well, while I'm here, I might as well stick things in my kids' asses. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and her husband and the hitchhiker, Robin Williams. That's the only way you can shut him up. So 
Dr. Rob says, well, the rectum is part of the digestive system, which runs from mouth to anus. So that statement is incorrect from the point of view of basic anatomy. Now, yes, the colon is better equipped to handle bacteria than the stomach, and I have to hand it to her that the idea is a clever one, but there's really nothing stopping an infectious agent from either end wreaking havoc with normal bowel bacteria. Right. One potential psychological advantage of the enema method is it avoids the disgust reaction to drinking blood-contaminated water. Dr. Rob does say, if it had been me, I'd have washed the boat with seawater as the rain began, so at least I'm catching it clean. But they're drinking the turtle blood, aren't they? So why don't they want to drink the turtle blood mixed with well, maybe water? Well, turtle, maybe turtle blood goes bad. Oh, I see. Because after, after the 12th one. Yeah. Yeah, like after it's been there for a while, right? Gets kind of caked on, and you know, like rehydrate it with the rainwater and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Either that, or I, I'm still kind of sticking to this theory that maybe she's just a total ass freak, and this is her this is her one opportunity to get her freak on. They they do seem to make some odd choices. Mm-hmm. Why can't we sail around the world? That's a good question, son. Oh, yeah. Let's go do that. <laughs> Here you go, son. Let's stick this up your butt so you can drink water. Mom, why can't we have an enema? Uh, yeah, yeah. That's a good question. Mom, why can't I stick the rungs from that ladder in my ass? Mm. You could do that for this. Well, okay. we've gone this far. Yeah. Now we're all dead soon anyway. Uh, 38 days after the wreck, they were finally picked up after a Japanese crew spotted their distress flare. Which happened to be not a normal flare, but... Uh, one stuck some, in somebody's butt. One stuck in somebody's butt. <laughs> Maybe that's how they launched it, though. Yeah. they, they had. <laughs> we, def- need, we need a steady platform, Junior. <laughs> Face down, ass up. Assume the position <laughs> yeah. for flare. There's no propellant, so make this a good fart. <laughs> Douglas Robertson, who became an accountant for a South London college, said he and his brother Sandy and Neil were strangely thankful for their shipwreck nightmare. If I had known throughout that I was going to be picked up, then I would choose the adventure, he said. But when we were on the raft, we thought we were going to die. It was like sitting there with the Sword of Damocles hanging over your head. Less fun. So, let me get this straight. Mm -hmm. His position is, is that if you have a choice between getting into a shipwreck that you know you will eventually be rescued from, or getting into a shipwreck where you don't know if you'll be rescued (laughs) or not, he would choose the former. I think what he's saying is, if you can have a shipwreck that you know you're going to get rescued from, just choose that. Yeah, or like, or you could do it because it could be kind of fun. That's what he's. I think that's what he's saying. That These it was guys are, this family is wacky. <laughs> yeah, I agree. The fact that they picked up a hitchhiker and took him out with them to sail around the world, or maybe he was hitchhiking on the ocean. Maybe he was <laughs> already he shipwrecked was and he was like standing there with his thumb sure, up. Sure, we got room for one more. <laughs> and then we're going to eat sinks? you. You know that. <laughs> Ooh, maybe he's Aquaman and he's sinking boats with his kid pot of killer whales. Maybe he's like he's. This is the only guy we can have sex with. It is an incest. <laughs> It's a good thing it was Robin Williams and not that guy from Entourage named Turtle, because they just would have eaten. Uh, <laughs> or maybe maybe that he was hitchhiking out in the middle of the ocean, and mom leaned over and goes, do you like things up your butt? And he was like, <laughs> I'm in. She's like, come on board. Hey, you're, <laughs> I, you're our kind of party. I'm an improv comedian. I'll try anything. <laughs> the SS Enema. All aboard.
was a night on the water beneath a starry sky And sailboats like dreamboats were slowly drifting by We heard a banjo strumming and lazy voices humming There was the moon on the water, it had a lovely charm With your hand in my hand, your head against my arm We sang a summer night song, a languorous and light song And we sat and watched until the moon dipped under Under the rim of the sea Your eyes were kind, the night was full of wonder And magic for me There was the night on the water I never shall forget The sailboats like dreamboats I'm thinking of them yet The world was far away there We wanted so to stay there forever the news Arizonian Hannah Gastongue 26 said Saturday that she and her husband decided to take a leap of faith and see where God led us when mm-hmm. they took their two small children and her father-in-law and set sail from San Diego for the tiny island nation of Kiribati in May 2013 oh, where's oh. Kiribati well it's a tiny island nation Micronesia oh it's, uh, so that's a ways away yeah, That's it's not very close to San Diego. Kiribati is a group of islands just off the equator and the international date line about halfway between Hawaii and Australia. Oh, okay. The total right. population is just over 100,000 people. All right. 100,000 awesome people. Yeah. <laughs> Leap of faith. Hannah Gastongue said her family was fed up with government control in oh, the United yeah. States. Oh, hate those yeah. guys. As Christians, they don't believe in, quote, abortion, homosexuality in the state-controlled church, she okay, said. But state-controlled church. So you know why yeah. they settled on Micronesia? Microgovernment. There you go. Mm-hmm. U.S. churches aren't their own, Gaston Guay said, suggesting that government regulation interfered with religious independence. Okay. 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 Mm-hmm. Among other differences, she said that they had a problem with, quote, being forced to pay these taxes that pay for abortions we don't agree with. Right. Okay. Yes. Yeah. The Gastongues weren't members of any church, and Hannah said their faith came from reading the Bible and through prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. The Bible is pretty clear, she said. <laughs> Which, yeah, makes me go. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, it is kind of clear about taxes. It does say, render unto Caesar that which are Caesar's, as unto God the things that are God's. So uh, so they made a boat out of Bibles? Is that <laughs> how they uh, had God steer their ship? Or do they just have a guy with a big beard and hemp clothing with his hand on the tiller? Yeah, that was probably it. Yeah. God is my co-pilot. Mm-hmm. In May, Hannah, her 30-year-old husband, Sean, his father, Mike, and the couple's daughters, three-year-old Edith and baby Rahab, set off. They wouldn't touch land again for 91 days, she said. At first, we were cruising, but within a couple of weeks, when we came out of there, storm, storm, storm. I didn't know they were such X-Men fans. <laughs> <laughs> the boat had taken a beating, 
and they decided to set course for the Marquesas Islands. Instead, they found themselves in, quote, a twilight zone, taking Whoa. more and more damage, leaving them unable to make progress. You know what is the island I want to go to? Yeah. The Marquesadilla Islands. Sounds tasty. Mm. They could have used a sail, she said, but they risk snapping off the mast and losing their radio and ability to communicate. This confuses me. That doesn't make well, sense to me. Well, yeah, that doesn't sound like people who know what they're doing. That is true. Mm -hmm. Either you have a mast that should have a sail on it, and that's why you have a sail, uh -huh. or you don't. Well, maybe they had a mast that had a uh, communications array at the top of it. And they were concerned that were they to lose their mast, they would lose their communication. I guess so, Maybe yeah. The mast was made out of Bibles. Ah, ha! That makes sense now. Uh -huh. All right. Because they're, they're, they want God to blow his holy wind into their sails. <laughs> <laughs> that is where God's holy wind comes from. They had been on the ocean for about two months and were low on supplies. They were out of food and were down to some juice and some honey. Wait, hold on a second. So... Mm. They knew that they were going to be at sea for 91 days, but after two months, they ran out of supplies. Well, no, their boat was damaged, so they're stuck in the middle of nowhere. Uh -huh. By now, their boat had taken on damage. They couldn't get anywhere. They couldn't use their engine. Mm -hmm. They were afraid to use the sail because they thought that the wind would that, snap would their snap, mast, yeah, which mm -hmm. would mean they couldn't radio anybody. Uh, she said they were able to catch fish, but they didn't see any boats. Okay. Uh, still, we didn't feel like we were going to die or anything. We believed God would see us through, sure. she said. Yeah. Yeah. That's what God does. He doesn't let anyone die. No. No. No At, one dies. Ever. No, ever. At one point, a fishing ship came into contact with them, but left without providing assistance. Uh, Satan was well, on board. I have no details on that. Okay. Uh, yeah. Maybe they weren't Christian. Uh, maybe. Maybe they send them packing to the fish packing plant. Off of you, godless heathens. Why, hello there. We're we're a bunch of Christians who need your help. Oh, hi. We're atheists, but uh, sure. What do you need? Atheist. Get moving. Yeah. I'd rather God die. would never. We have just sent had an abortion on board. God would never have sent you. <laughs> it's the USS Dead Fetus. <laughs> there you go. Uh, let that keep going. A Canadian cargo ship came along and offered supplies because we're nice. Huge, hey, license supplies, eh? But when they pulled up alongside it, the vessels bumped and the smaller ship sustained even more damage. Uh oh, uh, sorry. Well, that's fine because sorry. Now you're all together and you can just go home. Sorry. No. Sorry. What? That was the name of the ship too, probably. Yeah. Oh. The uh, the excuse Canadian me. Canadian pardon me. the HMS sorry the, the HMS excuse me excuse pardon me. me sorry yeah yeah they were getting hit by squall after so the Canadian squall ship didn't squall. take them on board and take them back to Canada I guess again I don't I'm reading this out of this uh, news article uh, it was posted in both uh, on both Yahoo and Gawker and I've pulled bits out of them both and they don't go into a lot of details on these they are curious. Mm-hmm. We were in the thick of it, but we prayed. Being out in that boat, I just knew I was going to see some miracles. Let's do it. Mm -hmm. Eventually, their boat was spotted she, by a helicopter that had taken off from a nearby Venezuelan fishing vessel, which ended she, up saving them. The problem is these guys don't recognize the miracles when they see them. Yeah, she should have tried to walk on water. <laughs> then it would have been better off for everybody. Sploosh. Well, <laughs> she didn't have enough faith. Billy, <laughs> yeah. why don't you step out? Precisely. They were on the Venezuelan ship for about five days before transferring to the Japanese cargo ship. Oh, yeah, because they, all the Venezuelans are like, oh, God, yeah. get these tiresome Christians out of here. Where they were for nearly three weeks before landing in Chile. Uh-huh. Hannah Gastondue said the family will now go back to Arizona and come up with a new plan. I tell you, when you live in it, when you're from Arizona, mm. you're, you probably don't have a lot of seafaring practice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hey, who paid for the trip back to uh, Arizona? Uh, oh, was it the U.S. government? Probably. No, it was probably <laughs> God. It was God. No, I'm sure it was probably the U.S. government. Hey, welcome back. About those taxes. <laughs> we had to not perform 27 abortions to get you back here. That's right. <laughs> that was part of the diabolical plan all along. 
<laughs> if we drain the U.S. government out of rescue funds, they won't be able to afford abortions. <laughs> okay, I love this story. I love the video that goes with it. No one's 2000- married. Uh, maybe I will. Mm-hmm. You should. 2013 Nigeria. Okay. I have a YouTube video for this. Uh, it's going to be posted on CausticSortOfPodcast.com, mm-hmm. of course. Harrison Ojegba Okine, his ordeal began at about 4.30 a.m. on May 26, 2013. Always an early riser, he was in the toilet when the tug he was the cook on, one of three towing an oil tanker in Nigeria's oil-rich Delta waters, mm-hmm. gave a sudden lurch and then keeled over. Lurch. But I was dazed and everywhere was dark. And wait, I was, wait, hold on a second. Mm. He keeled over or the boat the keeled boat over? The boat keeled over. How does a boat keel over? Well, those tugs tend to rock, rock back and forth. Oh, and yeah? I guess if they rock too far, they tip right over. All right. I was dazed and everywhere was dark as I was thrown from one end of the small cubicle to another. The only thing worse than your boat flipping over is the fact that you're sitting on the toilet <laughs> when it happens. Because then where does that go? Well, just, I mean, I guess the Goes odds- back up your butt. <laughs> that's how it works? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, the odds against, I mean, he is the cook, so that's one thing in his favor. Mm-hmm. And, the, and being just off the Nigerian coast, odds are you didn't make Mexican the night before. Well, maybe he did, and uh-huh. maybe the flatulence was the reason for the ship flipping <laughs> yeah, over. Oh, my yeah. God. Boom! <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Literally. He groped his way out of the toilet and tried to find a vent, propping doors open as he, mo- as he moved. He discovered some tools and a life vest with two flashlights, which he stuffed into his shorts. Oh. He then found a cabin of the sunken vessel that he felt safe in. Is that uh, a flashlight in your pocket, or are you just happy to see me? Maybe it's both. <laughs> I, I would think I'd be quite happy to see people if this <laughs> happened to me. At this stage, no, that's my penis going off, shining <laughs> yeah. a beam of light. <laughs> in that cabin, he began the long wait, getting colder and colder as he played back a mental tape of his life. Oh. He survived on just one bottle of Coca-Cola. <laughs> that's, uh, that's the next ad campaign <laughs> now here's where the video we've got kicks in and the video is from the helmet mounted camera of a frogman uh-huh. scouring a half, man, half frog deep one from the from the <laughs> shadow of Rinsmith a, a, a uh-huh. diver <laughs> yeah scouring the wreckage for corpses basically okay. it's 62 hours later at the bottom of the ocean for, oh. So uh, for, you know, uh, scientific experimentation and whatnot? Right. Mm-hmm. So the video shows uh, how uh, on the helmet cam, it's dirky, dark, murky water. Dirty. And dirty dirk, is the correct. Dark and murky. Dark and murky <laughs> conglomerate. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then you see this hand and it's just kind of there. And the guy goes, whoa. You can, he's communicating back with the people on the base who can, or in, inside their vessel who can see the, the and camera. Can, and you can hear uh-huh. both sides. And you can hear both sides of the conversation. And, his, and you can kind of hear the voice of the guy talking to him going, oh, well, crap, there's a, there, oh, you found one, yeah? And then the hand reaches out and grabs his glove. Oh, <laughs> see zombies! And you ah. get to see it. He, you, you can't really tell what he's, but the guy goes, ah! And then he immediately goes, he's alive, he's alive! Uh, and then you see the footage as the guy brings himself up out of the water and sees Okembe standing there in this pocket of air uh-huh. up to his chest in water looking just miserable <laughs> yeah and you know maybe maybe happy maybe a little happy i would see. you know i not even happy actually uh-huh. like he just like, looks kind of confused like confused and all i've uh, had to drink for however many hours is yeah. this bottle of coke i'm sure he's the freezing things cold i've had to do also <laughs> I think he might not even know if he's going to live at this point. Like, right. okay, they found me, but now what? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, true. But they end up giving him a mask, uh, a breathing mask, and uh, bringing him out and bring him up into their diving bell. Uh-huh. And uh, once they bring him back into the bell, the guy says, good job, my friend. Well done. You're a survivor. They officially call it then. Uh, 
did he like hold his breaths? Like, I mean, if you're in this little pocket of air and you know you can't get out because your ship is upside down. Yeah. Like, how do you, do you just like, do you like just suck a little <laughs> breath and like. Yeah. You just don't breathe. Oh, just tell, hold it. You <laughs> want to breathe slow, shallow, not exert yourself. You want to be as mellow and calm as possible to make, because you. So you would kind of be an expert about this. You need oh, to breathe dude. lazily. I would, I could, you, yeah. Bro, you're the laziest breather I know. I'm totally. <laughs> Not like me. <laughs> yeah, you're like a chihuahua. Torn's like a chihuahua. It's, it's his singing training. Uh-huh. Gotta, gotta get oxygen into my lungs so <laughs> I can sing at any time. Pop culture? Sure enough. Kevin, did you watch uh, Life of Pi? I did. I also watched Life of Pi. Oh! Uh, I here's... was expecting more pie. <laughs> here's my question. Life of why bother? Oh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was kind of boring. I agree. It was visually amazing. I agree. Knowing that, that tiger is like 100% CGI and watching it on the big screen and seeing like all that articulated hair and like all that yep. awesome jazz, I was like, nice job, guys. Yep. And the CGI company that made it went out of business after they won the Oscar. Uh-huh. No, uh-huh. before they won the Oscar. Or just before, yeah. 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 So uh, congratulations. Things, they focused all on tigers and there weren't enough tiger-based <laughs> media. Yeah. What about the part where the zebra got killed? That was exciting. Or caustic. Oh, yeah. Okay. The hyena. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's good there's good bits. Yeah. yeah. I, no, I, it's just, to me, the only reason to watch that movie is the visuals. Like when he's in the ocean and you see the ship sinking behind him. I mean, that's an incredible shot. Like mm-hmm. it's really amazing. To Gorgeous. Look it's beautifully shot. Uh, it won the Oscar for best cinematography. Mm-hmm. At, deservedly so. But boring and kind of pointless. The the message behind it infuriates me. What was the message oh, yeah? behind it? I'm the, trying to remember now. <clears throat> so the message behind it was he's telling this ridiculous story that gets more and more magical and oh, weird yeah, as it goes on. on that island with the mere cats and the, and the And the other guys like, "Well, that's not true." And the guys like, "But wouldn't it be fun if it is true? You should just believe things that are fun." They're, yeah. Right. <laughs> uh-huh. And I'm like, "No. No, that's not true cuz you might believe that a tiger wouldn't eat you and it would." <laughs> Yeah, you would die because you believed something so, stupid. So here's the question around it: uh, Did it? Uh, did all the things that he recounts on the boat actually happen, or was it all a metaphor? He wasn't even at sea after all. No, no, no. Like he was at sea, but the the existence of the tiger is a metaphor for his <laughs> combat against nature, or his uh, wanting to give up and die. Yeah, yeah, it could be the fact that the tiger would be on a lifeboat for starters. Well, well it was on the sh- it was on the ship, and then yeah. tigers hate water. That's right. Okay. And so it jumped into the yeah. life raft. With the hyena under there, everything's fine for like a day? I don't know. Oh. I'm no tiger expert. We haven't done our tiger episode. <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> and it's even great. after episodes, I'm no expert. <laughs> so it's, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. I'm like, I kind of, I'm not angry I saw it, but I wouldn't watch it again. I could believe it up to that point with the island. Oh, where the island eats The things. magical island. The magical, yeah. And then I was like, oh, well, what am I watching? The magical Hungry Island that's on no map. Yeah. Yeah. And then at the end of it where, yeah, he kind of recounts the whole. I think that the worst part for me was waiting to get to the tiger in the boat. Waiting to oh, get like all, all the, the precursor. Be- all the beginning stuff. Ah. Oh, okay. It didn't really lead up to anything. No. There was no resolution about any of that. No. no. In uh, fact, there was a decided lack there of resolution. Yeah. Yep. For anything. And then he's, he, uh, we never know well, what happened to the girl. Course, he got married, but they didn't say whether it was that girl or was someone else. Mm-hmm. And, and there's also the classic, the guy who's telling the story is an older version of the guy in the boat, so you know that he lives, yeah. which kind of annoys me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Because you're like, well, 
okay, I know the tiger's not going to eat him or even like bite off a hand or an arm or a leg or whatever. <laughs> like, I know none of this is going to happen. That would be great if he, ha- if he had like an artificial arm, but then at the end they reveal, oh, no, this happened in an industrial accident years yeah, after. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of what the movie is yeah. kind of about. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, thumbs down. Yep. I got some trivia. Ang Lee hired Steve Callahan as a nautical consultant. In 1982, Callahan survived 76 days adrift on a rubber lifeboat in oh. the Atlantic after his sailboat sank. Oh. Uh, I had that story in our research, but it was that's basically the story. Uh, right. Callahan was... He was way too clever and prepared for it to be that interesting. Right. Uh, he, he really was a MacGyver and also had a bunch of stuff. Okay. So it was really just, yeah, the super prepared guy had a... Like, his ship sank, but then he was okay. So... Why was he even suitable as a technical advisor on this movie? Well, he did. They should have hired a young Indian boy who was stranded after uh, when his old family died. He, he did create freighter. a lot of the fish hooks and gadgets the same way as he did when he was stuck ah, okay. uh, for use in that. So, you know, he was a good consultant. Yeah. But it, uh, it's a good story. It's just not very good for Caustic Soda, which is yeah. why we skipped it. Uh, and then, of course, there's the uh, comic book slash animated short film, uh, Tales of the Black Freighter. Mm-hmm. Uh, about uh, a, a ship that that sinks and uh, the intrepid captain makes a right. uh, a raft out of the dead bodies of his fellow crew members. That ends that up seems like a terrible idea. Sharks. Yeah, and then the bodies are eaten by sharks and he fights yeah, them Yeah, it's kind of like, uh, I'm going to go floating away on a, a raft made of bait. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of how it plays out. And then he like, you know, but through lack of water and, you know, he starts to hallucinate and he feels like, uh, you know, the, the bodies, they start talking to him and, you know, uh, he goes kind of insane and he's trying to get back to his hometown so that he can save his family from the, uh, the pirates Pirates. that sank him that are like heading to his town to rape and pillage. This is a B plot in the Watchmen comic book. B plot in the Watchmen comic book. It's it's a comic inside the Watchmen comic that somebody reads. Yeah. Yeah. So the, 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 the kid that keeps going to the newsstand keeps getting these successive issues of this like Tales of the Black Freighter. Because in a comic where there are real life superheroes, no one wants to read about superhero comics. Right. Uh They want to read about pirates. Yeah. That's exactly it. And ghosts. So so this guy shows back up on shore and, uh, you know, he's kind of insane and so he doesn't quite affect the positive outcome that he was hoping. Oh, it's kind of like a EC style horror comic with very a twist ending. Much, yeah. Very, yeah. very much nice. so. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's entertaining. Mm-hmm. I certainly recommend The Watchmen, in which yeah. it is in which it's originally contained. Mm-hmm. And, and so they you, made like a they made it like a cartoon that's available on like a DVD bonus or something like that. Yeah, they, they made it a, a, a short animated film, and then it you when you get certain versions of The Watchmen on DVD or Blu-ray, you can get it included along with. Mm-hmm. So, or you can get it standalone, separate. Yep. You know, I still don't hate the Watchmen, the movie. I mean, no, I know I a lot of people do. I hate the Watchmen, do. the movie. I like the Watchmen movie a lot. In yeah. fact, in some ways, I think it is superior to the comic because it's shorter. You don't have to read it. <laughs> no, there is know? a lot of reading in Watchmen. I always had a problem in the Watchmen comic of the space squid and why that would. Uh, oh and why that would inspire humanity to band together. The idea that Dr. Manhattan could be the culprit of the explosion in New York made way more sense to me than the space squid. It also keeps him away, yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. It takes him out of the equation, and it it seems like a more logical motivating factor than the space squid from the comic. Torn, you must uh, hate that argument because it means less squid. Mm-hmm. I've read the comic a long time ago. I actually didn't remember the space squid uh-huh. part of the story when I saw the movie, so it made no difference to me. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, think about that. I like the movie a lot. 
What about, was there rafting Lost to Sea and Pirates of the Caribbean movies? Yeah, at the them? very beginning, remember he's stuck on that raft and it's uh, slowly, or he's stuck on a, t- a tiny ship with, yeah. a, with a tiny mast and by the end of it, he's standing on the mast as it pulls oh. into port. Yeah, uh, as cap- it sinks, Captain, uh, you know, yeah. and he That's steps right, he right off the, off. yeah. One of the greatest introductions for any character yeah. in cinema history. Uh, so the first one is the one that I've seen because the other ones are awful. How would you uh, know if you haven't seen them? Well, I saw the second one, and so then I didn't need to see the third. One. Okay, and uh, but the first one's good. Can you imagine if you didn't like *Empire Strikes Back*, and then you would never get to see that Ewok Ewok battle? Yeah, I can imagine that. Okay. I can't but imagine I w- somebody not liking *Empire Strikes Back*. Yeah, that's the problem with your little, uh, you know. Can you imagine there. somebody not liking *Return of the Jedi* and then not seeing Episode One? Oh, that would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> It's such a weird feeling to know you're alive. It's such an awful feeling. You're dying inside, and when you wake up, startled to say, I hope I don't go crazy today. It's such a bad feeling, an ominous feeling, a feeling you know that we'll be back when the week is new and we'll have more gross facts for you and you'll have things you want to hear about we will Caustic Soda was recorded by Mike Leeson while being torn apart by feral dogs. To comment on episodes, make donations, and for links, images, videos, and show notes, visit causticsodapodcast.com. Rate and review us on iTunes, visit us on Facebook, tweet us on Twitter at Caustic Podcast, email us at info at causticsodapodcast.com. I'm Jenny May, and thanks for listening. Hey, supplies. He's got supplies. Oh, racism. <laughs> Poon Lim initially kept... No, that's him... what he would have said. <laughs> yes, racism. Oh, mm. racism. <laughs>